What then shall we say in response to these things? Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. To say that and to speak about the love of God, if we're not careful, can almost sound like white noise. Same old, same old. Yeah, yeah, the love of God. Okay, I know I'm supposed to love Jesus. Jesus loves me. And we're not going to perhaps express it so harshly. But somewhere in our hearts is, in our minds, excuse me, is this idea that, well, there's God's love, but there's got to be something deeper. There's God's love, but there's got to be something bigger. What there is is a bigger and deeper and wider way of understanding God's love, the depths of God's love. I talk with kids about how you know someone loves you. I know that Linda loves me. One of those expressions is the fact that she stuck with me for 36 years. <laughs> and I, the, the, the woman that I married on the 13th of June in 1987 is not the same woman I know now. She's better. Hopefully she'll say the same about me. Not that there was anything wrong with her back then, but... But I can say she's better in the sense that I know her better. And she knows me. And, and there's, there's things that when you're standing there on your wedding day, that there's just no way that you know what's coming. There's no way you know the things about that person, positively and negatively, that, or that you might not even try. You say, oh, let's, not, let's call off the wedding, let's go. This is too hard. Love is a deeper and deeper understanding of another person and them to you and continually accepting them. And like I said to the kids, saying that they matter every day, again and again and again, no matter what. What separates you from God's love? Nothing. Say that. Nothing. I hope that this will run deeply into all of our hearts this morning as we look at this powerful and beautiful passage that is, in some ways, the centerpiece of this entire book of Romans. As I said, since we began this in, uh, early in the year in January, this study of Romans is, this is a very deep book. This is a very complex book. This is a book that is written to a church in the city of Rome that Paul had never been to yet, but he heard about, he knew some of the people, but he was most concerned with the division that was happening between the believers in the church that were Jewish and the believers in the church that were Gentile and how those two groups were not getting along very well. And there was division and unity. And so in order to bring them together in love, he's describing the depth of God's love. And in order to understand the depth of God's love, we have to first understand the depth of, the, of humanity's problem and then in humanity, my personal problem, your personal problem, the, this, this sin thing that has infested us, all of us, and what that's doing to us. And how without the grace given to us by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, we'd have no hope. But 
He did come. He did live and die for us. He did rise again for us so that we have hope. And so now in this end of the eighth chapter of this book, he's gotten to this place where here's the center of it all, everyone. This is the core of it. It is the love of God that is beyond description, that is beyond understanding, but he he still touches on some of that understanding. So what shall we say then in response to these things? When he uses those words there in the 31st verse, these things, in a sense, he's pointing back to what he's written in the last eight and a half chapters. The, The collective understanding and inspiration given to him by God to write this down, all of these things... How do we respond to what God has done for us? And he comes up with four questions in the next few verses there. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who then is the one who condemns? And who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So let's let's pick through those one at a time, first of all. If God is for us, who can be against us? This is a question of sovereignty. Who is really in charge of it all? Now, in a room that um, I'm going to assume most of you at least believe in God, if you don't, you're, you're at least able to come today and, and sit among those that do and perhaps consider and open up your heart and mind if that's where you are. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll consider that there is a God that made this place we call earth, that made the universe in which we are in. The God that, that brought the man who couldn't walk a few days back through that back door right now. The, <laughs> hi, Jason. <laughs> the God that loves us so deeply is sovereign over all things. What is bigger, stronger, more powerful, more authoritative than the creator of the universe? That might seem like an obvious answer to a basic question of faith. And yet, how often in our day-to-day lives do we live as if something is stronger than God? Do we deny God, reject God, turn from God, and put something else on the throne in our hearts, in our minds? That, well, God's important, but right now this is more important. It could be a person. It could be a job. It could be money. There's no, there's no end to the list of possibilities of how the sovereign God can be replaced. But here's the thing. Even when we do that, God doesn't stop loving us when we're doing that. While we are putting something less than him on the throne of our hearts and minds, he still loves us. The second question then, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? This is a question of authority. Who has the right to accuse us? We looked a couple of weeks ago at that first verse in the chapter 8, and it mentions that word again here about condemnation. There is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. Who will bring a charge against us? Who will condemn us? No one, it says here. So no one has the authority to usurp God when God says, I have forgiven you. And sometimes 
the one who is usurping God and denying the truth that you are not condemned is the person you see in the mirror. I know people, and the guy I, look in, I see in the mirror sometimes does this, I know people that have a harder time forgiving themselves than someone else. You ever been there? Or have a hard time believing that God has forgiven you when you still can't forgive yourself. Now, there are often people that will, out of, out of anger and frustration and, and sometimes some really deeply hurtful stuff that goes on between people. I won't deny the depth of the pain and, and, and just the horror that it can happen. You know, and, and they'll say to someone, I will never forgive you or I can't forgive you. And that's a place that you have to pray through. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm not saying it's easy. Okay, it is, it is complex to learn to forgive the one who has hurt you. Forgiving doesn't mean what happened doesn't matter. Forgiving doesn't mean that they don't have to go through the consequences of the punishment if, if, if something applies to what they did to you. But when, when, when you withhold forgiveness from, one, from someone, you, you, you stop growing. And, and you know, your, your, your bitterness is... I forget who said this uh, recently. Um, it, it's like drinking poison and hoping that he or she dies because I drank it. Because that's what you're doing to yourself. The, the, the poison isn't on them, it's on you. So this is all part of forgiveness. So, so the authority to condemn shouldn't even come from yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Don't condemn others. And don't listen to the condemnation of others because Jesus has stood before God and said, I love you, I forgive you, and no one else can say otherwise. No one, anywhere. That's the kind of authority our Jesus has for all of us. Believe it. Who then is the one who condemns? It's also a question of identity. When you are condemned, that's what it will do to you. When you begin to believe the voices of condemnation, the voices of shame, the voices that tell you you're no good, the voices that tell you that you're not enough, the voice that reminds you on replay constantly about that thing you did or didn't do last week, last month, or 10 years ago that you just can't seem to let go of, that's what condemnation does. It keeps on going and going, and then eventually it affects your identity. You become that which you're trying to get rid of. You become that thing that you're accused of and you start believing the lie. And God in Christ can help us. And again, this is not simple or quick. It can be very complex and deep, but we can learn to tell ourselves a new story about me. A new story about the one you see in the mirror. A new story that is better. To begin believing what God has said. To begin believing, uh, like the one praise song says, you know, who, who you say I am. And start to embrace that and to believe it. If you've repeatedly heard that you're no good for all of your life from the same person or from the same set of people, then what you have to do is you have to put a new replay on. You have to go to the scriptures and memorize those scriptures. Not, not, not just so you're, you're getting an A on the test, you can quote a scripture, but so the, the truth of that scripture sinks in. If, 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 it's, if there's a repeated voice that says to you, 
you're lousy, you're no good, you're a bum, you never amount to anything, then you need to plug in something into your mind that says, no, that's not true. I am a child of God. That's a good place to start, by the way. I am loved by God. I matter to God. And, and tell yourself that and put that on replay to fight and beat down the voices of condemnation. And then your identity becomes what God has created you for, what, what Jesus is calling you into. And then the fourth question in this first part of the section today is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This is a question of anxiety. Because separation is, is or the fear of separation, is, is one of the, the, the deepest causes most common causes of anxiety. They have been separated from someone or they were afraid they will be. And, and anxiety has many other tentacles and, and, and ways to get out of our hearts, but this is a big one. Separation. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one will. Let's look a little bit more closely at that because that's what Paul does in this passage. He says that question, who shall separate us? Now look at this this list then he gives us, that's um, down there in about the 38th verse. Um, excuse me, the um, 32 and on down. He says, shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. What's interesting is the question itself. If you look at that list, you might ask the question this way. What shall separate us? And you would say, well, I don't want trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or sword or danger or nakedness to affect me, to influence me, to separate me. I get that. But, but Paul didn't phrase it that way. He says, who? And he gives the same list. Now, why is that? Because all of these are people problems. This is what people bring to us. This is what people do to people individually and collectively this is how trouble people bring trouble to other people in all of its various forms hardship horrible decisions and just horrible actions upon another person persecution of other people individually or collectively or even an oppressive nation an empire will do that to people groups um, what about famine? It's more than a natural disaster from drought. That certainly contributes to famine. But when you think about it, it doesn't, you don't have to know much about this to know this. There is enough food right now to feed every person on the planet every day. There is enough food on this planet. There is more than enough. And yet, there are people starving. Now, why is that? Because of the who question. Because collectively, and this is something that we have to wear together, I'm saying the human race right now in 2023, we have to admit that we're not doing enough together to make sure that everyone's got food on the table every day. Because there's enough there, it's, it's, so it's not a supply question. It is an access question and it is a question of the will to get it there to those that don't have it when they need it. 
Now, there's many organizations and many nations, and including ours, that does a lot to feed the hungry. Let's keep doing it, but we need to do more. But I'm just giving you this as an example here of, in this list of what Paul says about how all these things are who questions, because if we have the desire, the who is more people need to have make ways to get food to people. Nakedness is more than a lack of clothing. Nakedness also speaks of our, our fears of exposure, our fears of, of, our fears of vulnerability. I don't want to be seen for what I really am. I don't want to allow someone else a window into my heart and mind to see what's going on. Sure, I can, I can show up in community. I can show up you know, in public. I can come to church on Sunday, and I can put on the smile. I can put on the church face. I can adopt the church language. And I can look and sound and act like Jesus and me, we're together, praise God, and then go home and feel destroyed and feel abandoned and feel rejected and feel condemned. If we're not working on the stuff in the heart, if we're not letting the love of God infiltrate and meet us there at those points of condemnation and fear and rejection that, that, that we live and act out way too easily and way too often when we're away from others and we can put the guard down, take the mask off. That's nakedness. To let people see who you really are. Now, I'm not saying we all come to church on Sunday and, you know, bear our souls and our deepest secrets to one another in a public setting. That's not what I'm talking about. But within the church as a whole, I hope you have friends in your life that you can bear your soul to. I hope you have friends that share in this love of Jesus with you and you can say to them, hey, would you please pray for me? Would you please help me with this thing that, that, I'm, that I'm going through right now. I don't know what to do. I'm at wit's end. And then you can pray together about a way forward. Now you have someone with you. Now you have someone to, to keep going with and, and, and to, to begin a path on a journey. And it's often a long and hard journey, a journey toward healing. Our church sign, our church logo, our church mission, three words. Hope, heal, and help. The hope of Christ, the healing that we find in that hope, and then to help someone else experience the same. That, if, if we're successful in doing that, this church is going is to keep growing and keep growing. But if you hide behind the mask, if you pretend that I'm okay, but deep inside you're torn apart, then you're not going to grow either. And you can't help someone else if you're torn apart. But if you find someone else who's torn in the same way, you can help each other. And that's the all. So God wanted me to say that. That wasn't in the notes. <laughs> Lord, take that where you need to take it. Um, so all of these are who aspects of the things that don't separate us from the love of God. No matter what the voices of doubt, anxiety, rejection, abandonment, and shame, they come from people. They never come from God. So, so whenever those voices come to us, don't listen. Don't let that grab your heart. Don't, don't start believing those lies. And that will help you 
hold on tighter and, and know deeper the love of God. And, and that in itself is a lesson in God's love or a lesson in what real love is. When things get the hardest, who's still there? When, 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 you, are, when you find the courage to bear the heart, to bear the soul, to tell what's going on, that person who's still sitting with you and still loving you and has offered to do what they can to help you, even if it's just a listen, that's evidence of God's love in him or her that has now ministered to you. And God doesn't bring you to the place of condemnation. God doesn't create doubt in your heart. God never rejects you or abandons you or brings shame to you. It doesn't come from him. And nothing separates you from that level of love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one can do anything to you that will cause God's love to end. Paul goes on to say that, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Now, those two words, these things, in the first verse I mentioned at 31, that was in context of reflection on the entire writing of Romans up to this point. In here, it's just the previous verse. So these things this time are the things we just talked about. Trouble, hardship, persecution, etc. So in all these things, we are more than conquerors for him who loved us. And I like that phrase, more than conquerors. Now here again, we see the word who, but this time the who isn't people. This time the who is God. This time the who is, is the love of God expressed through the Son, Jesus Christ, to us. We are more than conquerors. Love is not about gaining conquest over those who hurt us, oppress us, or reject us. God's love is so much more and so much better. Some people have the mistaken idea that if God truly loves me, then life is going to go my way. Now, if that's true, go back to the first one we looked at a couple of minutes ago. Who's sovereign in that question? Who's sovereign in that, that mentality, that, 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 that mistaken principle that someone might embrace? That if God loves me, I'll get my way. Who's sovereign? You are. I'm telling God what to do. I get really annoyed with people that insist on telling God what to do. You know, God, you must do this, and I demand it. And uh, I mean, sometimes we get frustrated or, or we're desperate, and I'm not saying don't, don't pray desperate prayers, but God is the one who's sovereign, not you. It's not about getting our way. It's not about achieving victory over the person who is hurting us, seeing them get theirs. Uh, see what God did to you? No, that was their consequences for what they did. It was not what God did. And we can carry this even in a, to, to a, a, a corporate level, a, a national level, by, by thinking that God must love our nation more than the rest because look how blessed we are. And yet, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. He, he loves people. He loves everyone. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
didn't say God so loved the United States of America that he gave his son. He does love us too, thankfully, but he doesn't love us more. So it's not about success and victory. I, I hope you can see what I'm getting at here. It's um, more than conquerors means that as we embrace love, the world doesn't get smaller in our hearts. The world opens up. The kingdom of God gets wider. The boundaries keep pushing out. We're welcoming more and more people in because we're excluding less and less. That is the genuine love of God being expressed in us individually and, and corporately through the church and, and through, through our lives, through, through the ministry of Bushko Community Church. What are we known for in this community? What do people think of when they hear Bushko Community Church? If they do it all, many people still don't know we're here. I'm amazed by that, including people who drive to the school every day. Where's that church at? <laughs> the old bar. Oh, yeah, now I know where it is. Okay. But more important than location is, do people see us, perceive us as people that love God and welcome everybody? That's what we have to be about, continue to be about, because that's the way God sees the world. You don't have to come conditionally. You don't have to clean yourself up first, then show up before God or in a worship service. You have to come as you are. And I hope that we are expressing that as a church into our community. For I am convinced that neither, and Paul goes in their list here, Neither death nor life, the physical realm, didn't spell physical right there, sorry. The, in other words, from birth until death, nothing between those bookends is ever going to remove the love of God. Death itself doesn't remove the love of God, thankfully. That's, that's when we are fulfilled by that love. But let's look backward, too. Some people hate their life and wish they weren't born. I wish they were born somewhere else. Well, you know what? God loved you then too. No matter where you were born, who you were born to, no matter what nation you were in, no matter what religion your household practiced, God loved that child, that person, just as much as he loves you and I. That's the depth, and, and that's what I was talking about a moment ago. God's love, as you look at it, for what it really is, as you understand it in bigger and broader and deeper ways, you recognize that, wait a minute, this isn't just us here in our little conclave of believers in the United States of America. Wow, this is everywhere. Now, not everyone accepts or responds to that love the same. Some people clearly reject it, but is his love removed from them or from you or I in the moment of rejection? No, it's always there, waiting for us to turn, waiting for us to respond. So nothing in the physical realm between life or death separates us from the love of God. Neither angels nor demons, the spiritual realm. By the way, the, the word demons here, this is the New International Version translation. Um, most English translations, it doesn't use the word demon, it uses the word um, principalities or spiritual power, okay? Um, the, there is a different Greek word for demon than you see right here. 
um, that which you would see if you translate when there's demon activity going on around Jesus and a demon was cast out of so-and-so, okay? It's a different word here, but translators understandably used it here to contrast angels because the word is definitely angels, okay? Um, in a sense, it doesn't matter, okay? Because no matter if demons are just some broader spiritual power than demons or in which demons are included, the point is this. They can't separate you from the love of God either. So in other words, there's nothing in the physical world that can separate you. There's nothing in the spiritual world that can separate you. And there's nothing in time that can separate you. Neither the present nor the future. There won't come a moment where you get to the end of God's love. You wake up one day and says, you get a note from the Lord from heaven or he writes in the sky, you know what, Paul Miller, I've had enough with you. Goodbye. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Sometimes I couldn't blame him. <laughs> but that's never going to happen to me, to you, to anyone. God's love is literally timeless. How about gravity? Any powers? I picked gravity as an example of power because gravity is the greatest power in the physical world. Gravity is even stronger than light. To study black holes. So gravity is, 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 is anything really powerful. So any power, physically, spiritually, none of that can take away God's love. So if I were to get onto a spaceship and get sucked into a black hole, God's love is still there. Yay. <laughs> and we can come up with all kinds of scenarios like that, but... It's, it's important for us to recognize, again, not just God's love in this tiny little box of my life and what I can conceive of right here and what I'm facing this day. Yeah, he loves you here and now. And in, in a way, that's the most important thing. But it is so much bigger and broader than all of that. How about space? Neither height nor depth. No matter how far away you go in any direction, God is with you. We mentioned last week, the week before, I, I, I mentioned about you know, just the, the size of the universe. It's immeasurable. And if we can leave this world and there's more space travel being planned or happening, and you know, it, it's kind of like, which, which is exciting for us as humanity. I get that. I think it's kind of neat. But... It's, it's sort of like going from let's say, Earth to Mars. Yay, us. <laughs> well, the next nearest star is like in East Stroudsburg. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? It's, we made this little tiny jump, and we haven't even gotten to another solar system, let alone galaxy. And yet, there's no place we could travel to if we're able to travel that God's love will be absent as I mentioned, that black hole a moment ago. And then lastly, nor anything else in all creation. I want to call this one mind games. Creation. You were created in the image of God, so the, the some of the attributes or, or pieces of the attributes of God came with it. And, and here's an example of that that fits here. Every one of you is creative. Every one of you. 
Now, you might say, Pastor Paul, no, I, I, I can't even draw a stick figure. You know, um, I, I, I can't sing, and that's an artistic expression. Or, um, you know, I, I, I'm not very good at making crafts or, or, or whatever, but all of us create between the years in good ways and in unhealthy ways. We create possibilities. We create a future for ourselves, an envisioned future. We create scenarios of what could happen, and sometimes they're very fearful and damaging scenarios. We create ways to get vengeance. Our minds are creating machines that are that can constantly create ways to either honor God with the mind he's given you or work against God with hurtful, harmful ideas. And and again, the more you start recycling the negativity and, and fantasizing about revenge or wherever it might be, the more possible it is that you're going to act out on that one day. You, you become that which you create. So no matter what we create in the mind, even that does not separate us from God's love. And, and, and there's one more aspect of that that's very important. If you know anyone who, who um, suffers from any form in the very broad category, category of mental illness, does that remove them from God's love? No. And, and I know people, and many of you do, where a person's mental illness has caused deep anguish to a family. And, and they're trying to get help, and the person may or may not be willing to, to get the help and carry through with the steps they're supposed to take or the medication or wherever it might be. And it can be really debilitating to an individual and to a family and to marriages and to relationships when a person is suffering from mental illness. And is that person separated from God's love? Absolutely not. So anything else in all creation, that's maybe one small aspect of a larger anything else that you can think of (laughs) that won't separate you from God's love. Are you convinced? Paul says, I am convinced. Other versions say persuaded. He knows that he knows that he knows that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. How about a hearty amen to that? Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord God, for that truth. Help us to live in it, to draw life from it. And we celebrate this morning as we come to your table the depth of that love you gave us as you gave your body and, and shed your blood so that we could experience your love. In your name, amen.